Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most loving Father, we come before you. Lord, to fix our eyes not on what is passing, what is uh, temporary, but is on you. Lord, help us to not uh, look towards the world, to be able to see what perishes or passes, what rusts or dissolves, what is fleeting or temporary, but shift our eyes upon the Word of God, not upon the withering grass or the fading flower, but on the Word of the Lord which will stand forever. Help us to shift our minds on what is eternal, everlasting, unfading, undefiled, what stands forever. Lord, we know that we cannot do this on our own, but we need your help. Help us this morning with the work of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts that we would be able to move to that which is eternal, to shift our eyes upon you. The hope of all of our, where eternity and our eternal life last, uh, lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. Is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring, what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And we should have been... we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, and guide our feet into the way of peace. 
the child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We come and find ourselves in the third response of the good news of the incarnation found in the Gospel of Luke. Asking the question, how should we respond when we hear of the good news of Christ coming to dwell amongst His people? Now we've met this person before, Zechariah, as he was serving in the temple and the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that his prayers have been heard and his prayers have been answered. That he and his wife, although advanced in years, would give birth to a son, although even Elizabeth is barren, they would have a son. What is later told by the angel Gabriel that this is an impossible task. What is impossible is not all things are possible for God. Our Zechariah did not believe the words of Gabriel that he had spoken to him. The last words that have come from his lips was a question. A question filled with doubt. We find earlier in the chapter that this was the question was filled with unbelief now mary and elizabeth had had their response the incarnation the good news of christ coming mary is about three months pregnant and just left the house of zechariah and elizabeth elizabeth gives birth to a son the promise made to zechariah was fulfilled so it is this baby is born, and like it is at all times, some things are unchanging. But a baby is born, and everyone is excited. The neighbors and relatives know that this is because of God's great mercy that Elizabeth has been able to bear a child that she was able to conceive. And we know that this is an answer to prayer. For In Luke chapter 1, verse 13, we find that Zechariah had been praying for this. Everyone is filled with joy. Now, some things have not changed. Uh, when a child is born, everyone is excited. Other things have changed. When we have had our children, we're told very explicitly that we're not allowed to leave the hospital until we have named the child. Uh, some of our children, we, uh, we had to write our names down quite quickly because we wanted to go home, but we hadn't told the nurses the information about our own children whereas this is not the case during the practice during jesus time it was quite common that there was a formal announcement and a formal naming ceremony done upon the boys during this time when the covenant sign of circumcision was administered to them now this hasn't always been the case but during jesus time this is how it is and even that practice has flown into uh, christening services where christenings uh, normally pronounce the name formally. Now, it comes to that moment in the ceremony where they write upon the birth certificate the name of this child. This child which is born to Zechariah and Elizabeth and we find out in verse uh, 59 that they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But now Elizabeth comes down to write the name on the birth certificate. And Elizabeth said that his name shall be John. Now Gabriel had told this to Zechariah in verse 13 of chapter 1. 
We don't know how this information was passed to Elizabeth. But uh, Elizabeth says that his name will be on. Now this upset the whole circumcision ceremony. Family members in the pews probably started mumbling to one another. And then finally together they cried out and said, none of your relatives have this name. Now I am sure this is not merely just stating a fact. I'm sure there's something underneath all of this. Why are you calling this child John when none of your relatives have this name? And they turn to Zechariah saying, you need to correct this. However, Zechariah calls for a tablet. Now for us younger people, the tablet is not an iPad that he calls for. A writing uh, piece of paper is what he is looking for. And Zechariah starts to write. And I'm sure all the audience, all the family members, relatives, neighbors are in suspense as he scribbles along with his pen. And he turns it over and finally it reads that his name is John. Family members were astonished and I'm sure this would be the whole talk of the the reception to follow, this would be the talk of many family gatherings in the future. I'm sure there were some people that were very upset that day that probably brought it up at any point they could. But this child is called John, just as Gabriel had said. Now at this time, it is now that Zechariah is able to speak. Now what comes from his mouth is quite surprising. He's not been able to speak for nine months maybe even longer. He begins to bless God. Now how many of us in this situation might want to say many other things? Even go back to that question, why would God do this to me? However, Zechariah does not do this. The fear of the Lord comes upon all of his neighbors and his family and this news starts to spread before and more questions were raised about Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John, who... What child is this? Just like Elizabeth and Mary, before they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and Zechariah too, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to prophesy, which is where we'll be spending the rest of our time. But before we do, we need to understand this moment in history. This moment in history is after not just months of silent for Zechariah, but years, centuries of silence from God. For about 400 years, God has not spoken to His people through a prophet. For 400 years, God has been silent. The nation of Israel has seen many changes. But here at this moment, something great is happening. In this short amount of time, this period of maybe a year, Gabriel had visited Zechariah. He'd visited Mary and Joseph. God is now speaking once more. This great and glorious time in the history of God's people and the Holy Spirit is moving in the hearts of these men and women that God is working. So what can we learn about Zechariah and how he responds to the news of God's movement. How is God moving? What is God doing? 
Now we could look at this text in many different ways. If we were amazed when we looked at Mary's Magnificat, at all the references to Scripture, then we would stand even more amazed as we come to this text this morning. If we were to connect all these dots with red pieces of string and try and connect them to all the different Scripture references, we would run out of string very quickly. Not only if we were to trace them to the Old Testament, but even read forward into the Gospel of Luke and even through the book of Acts and throughout all the way to Revelation. One book has comprehensive cross-references. shows that in these 12 verses, there's 144 different scriptural references that go out from this one time. Say this just to remind us that as we come to the good news of the incarnation, this is not a new story. This is the fulfillment of promises that have been given in the past. The gospel of Jesus is not a replacement to the Old Testament, it is the Old Testament fulfilled through Christ. So, what do we see in Zechariah's prophecy? The first thing that we draw our attention to is that he is. God is remembering His promise of old. God is remembering His promise of old. God is fulfilling His promise of what He said He would do. He mentions the God of Israel. Zechariah mentions David, the prophets of old, our fathers, His holy covenant, Abraham, his, the Most High. And He connects it all to His Son. His Son to Himself to the people around him as he says even the words our God throughout this prophecy. Now you can look at all these connections. We don't have time to be able to do that in detail. We need to notice two things about how Zechariah speaks. That is, God is doing these great and glorious things. God is doing these great and glorious things. And then also, how Zechariah sees how God is doing them. The first, that God is doing these great, great and glorious works. You could again branch out and continue to see all these sections and categories. That God is the one visiting His people. God is the one remembering His covenant. God is the one preparing His people. And all these categories overlap as we see a God... Um, Remembering His promises of old. This is the Gospel pat- pattern. Again, this is nothing new. This is God's work. These are God's promises of what He said He would do, He is doing. The God is the one who initiates. Who starts to meet His people. Abraham then never went looking for God. God appeared to him. David was summoned by Samuel, and Samuel was summoned by the Lord. Jacob was sleeping on a rock when the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Moses was looking for sheep in the wilderness where God appeared for him through the burning bush. This is how God works. That God does the works. The covenant grace, I believe, can be summarized in this glorious statement of this voluntarily God coming down. Condescending to his people. 
That we cannot go to God because our sin separates us from Him, so He comes to us. That God visits His people. How much do we think about this at this time of year when we think about Christ coming to dwell with us? That while we were still sinners, that Christ came and died for the ungodly. It is God's work of coming and Him coming to visit His people. Secondly, God is remembering His covenant. This is not to say that God has forgotten His covenant. He has not forgotten what He has promised to do. But God is connecting all that He has spoken in the past to come about bringing His Son. This is what similar said, similarly said in the book of Exodus when God saved His people from the hand of Pharaoh. Chapter 2. Lastly, underneath this category is that God is the one preparing the way for His people. Zechariah looks down at this eight-day-old little baby John. And he recalls what was spoken to him by Gabriel the angel. And he too affirms what is spoken about this young child. That little John would be the one preparing the way for the Lord. Gabriel had told Mary that her son would be the son of the Most High. And Gabriel has told Zechariah that John would be the one who points towards the Son of the Most High. He will be the prophet of the Most High. John is not the center of Zechariah's prophecy, but the Lord is. He is pointing... John is merely a sign pointing to Jesus. Zechariah, the dad, this proud father, sees that his son is a servant of God doing His will. The second portion of what God is doing, remembering His his great and glorious promises, is notice how Zechariah speaks of how God is doing these things. It's not that he says that God will do these things. That He will visit us. He will redeem us. He will save us. But he says that He has done these things. Zechariah knows that God has done them. That He is keeping His promises and His promise has been fulfilled here and now. That the fullness of time had come. The time is now. Jesus explained to the Pharisees that Abraham rejoiced that he would see Jesus' day. Abraham saw it and he was glad. All those who went before John the baptizer looked to God through faith that the promises of God would be fulfilled. That he would finish what he started. He would fulfill His promises. Paul says in Ephesians, according to His purpose, which He sent forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. 
that Zechariah says he has visited his people. He is doing it. He has done it. Jesus, when he begins his ministry, he begins, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Zechariah here knows that God has done these great and glorious things, that God is working. The second thing that we see is God's action. What God is doing in this time is God is redeeming His people from their foes. God is redeeming His people from their foes. Now some have commentated and commented that Zechariah is too nationalistic in his understanding of the Messiah to come. Now, I think we need to be cautious to believe when we think we know better than Zechariah, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, also recorded by Luke, who was carried along by the Holy Spirit, Now that does not to say that when someone is prophesying, they have a small slither of an understanding of what that prophecy might mean. And God, the author of that prophecy, has a bigger, fuller understanding of that. But I think that to say that this is just Zechariah's slim view, I think does not give enough understanding of how the Holy Spirit worked and moved through Zechariah and even Luke. This is what God is doing. God is redeeming His people from their foes. Notice all the words that are used in this passage. God is redeeming, raising the horn of salvation. He is saving them from their enemies, delivering them from the hand of their enemies. But notice even at the end that it is our feet that will be led on the way to peace. Right after the fall, God spoke to the servant and said, between the woman and between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent will be conflict. They will be at war with one another. But there will be a time where the seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent. There will be a time of no more war, but there will be a time of peace. Zechariah knows that God was going to defeat the enemies of the people of God. Now this promise is particularly connected to the household of David. promise given to the Lord in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where David said, I'm going to build the Lord a house. And God says, no. I'm going to build a house for you. There is going to be a son after you are gone, who sits on your throne forever, whose kingdom will not pass away. It will be a king, David's son, who will come, who will rule his kingdom justly, perfectly. Westminster Shorter Catechism explains how Christ comes and executes that office of a king. And it says that this is what Christ does in in executing that office of a king, in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. 
And this is a theme not just made in Zechariah's prophecy, but throughout all of the New Testament. These ties of Christ and, and what He has come to be able to accomplish. In the way of peace, Paul often will begin his epistles with grace and peace to you. No, this is not just some nice greeting that Paul has come up with. These are words with deep meanings. The gospel message of Christ's coming is that He comes to be able to defeat our enemies. The enemy. And as Zechariah knows that that time has come, that time is now that God has visited His people God is going to save His people. John, His son, is not the Savior. He knows this when he says that John will give knowledge of salvation to His people. It's not that He will give salvation. He will give them knowledge of this salvation. The glorious thing about the Incarnation is that Christ comes in this humble estate, born of a woman under the law, and He comes to defeat our enemies. Luke, who traveled with Paul on some of his missionary journeys, might have shared Zechariah's prophecy with him. And and Paul probably had read the Gospel of Luke. And you can see even many of these same themes that Zechariah speaks of as this prophecy of Christ's coming and what God is doing. Throughout all of the New Testament books, that Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, we give thanks to the Father for who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Christ has come to be able to defeat our enemies. Or as Charles Wesley wrote, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of of righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark! The herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. Zechariah knows of what is happening, that Christ has come. He's the King. God is the one redeeming, delivering, vanquishing all of their enemies. One last thing that Zechariah speaks of. Of God and what He is doing. That God is forgiving His people anew. God is forgiving His people anew. Zechariah holding his son in his arms. And he speaks of God's mercy which is shown to His people. God is the one who is going to deliver them, save them, keep His promise, and He's going to forgive them of their sins. Zechariah says, the sunrise shall visit upon from on high to give light. God's people living in silence, living in darkness, And now the birth of John, the one preparing the way, a new era has begun. The last prophet of the Old Testament is leading forth to the apostles of the new. 
colors on the horizon are no longer pitch black and darkness, but they have a hue of color. The sun is rising and Christ is coming to forgive the people of God of their sins. The light has come into the world, into this darkness, and that light has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel message that Zechariah knew all too well. Zechariah was a priest. He'd go in and out of the temple, making sacrifices for the people of God day in and day out. We come to light the incense, to burn the incense before the Lord. He speaks of what God is doing and how God is coming to forgive His people. The Apostle John would write about this as he begins his Gospel message. In Him was life. And the light was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent by God, whose name was John, Zechariah's son. He came as witness to bear witness about the light that all that might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Zechariah was silent for nine months. God was silent for 400 years, but yet they still tie it together. As Zechariah speaks, he speaks of what God had already spoken of. He breaks out in this joyous praise of the great work of God and what He is doing for His people. Again, once more, the response of the Incarnation, if we're not drawn towards praising and giving adoration and glory to God, then we have missed the point. The God and His glorious and mighty works and what He has done and accomplished through His people, that He has remembered His promises of old. He's redeemed His people from their foes. He's forgiven them anew. But what does this passage specifically tell us to do because of what God has done? We need to note that this is all happening in the background. God is the one visiting, redeeming, raising, saving, remembering, delivering, preparing, forgiving, shining, showing mercy, and guiding. But we see Him doing them for a purpose. For His glory. And right in the middle, Zechariah explains that a response and what the people of God should do about this good news. begins right at the end of verse 47, uh, 74. And we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him. 
without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days. God is doing all this work, delivering us from our enemies that we might be able to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days. God saves us for His purposes. We are saved to serve. Saved to worship. Saved to glorify. Saved not to focus on ourselves, but to serve Him, the true and living God. The good news is not that salvation is just that we are saved from our past sins. But He's also saving us as we flee from sin, die to sin. That we're made new men and women to serve God. This is a great story of the the story of Exodus is not that he just redeems them and saves them from slavery, but he saves them to set them apart as a people unto himself. That I will be their God and they will be my people. The great work of the gospel begins in repentance and continues with a life unto repentance. Because of this salvation, of all the work that God has done, we shall have no fear. That we then can serve Him in holiness and righteousness because of what Christ has done and accomplished for us on the cross. And all of this is not because of us, but because of His great and glorious works. The incarnation is started in the womb, but the one at the tomb. The old man that is dead is now alive let us seek to respond to the incarnation with glory and adoration to god for what he has done and accomplished but also with lives that are humble as we are servants of the living true king jesus christ finish with a quote from charles spurgeon he says that this is the Christian message. He is no Christian who does not seek to serve God. The very motto of the Christian should be, I serve. Let us think and ponder about that in the coming days and weeks, how we serve God, because what He has done and accomplished for us. Let's go to Lord in prayer. O most gracious and merciful Father, we give You thanks and praise as we read a passage as we have just read and we see all of what You have done for us. Lord, that You are the One who has made the promise of old and kept that promise. Lord, that You are the One who has defeated all of our enemies. Lord, that You are the One who has forgiven us of all of our sins. Help us, Lord, to be able to live a life of service unto You. Serving the risen King. One seated at Your right hand. Giving Him all glory and honor. It's in Christ, this King's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. 
please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.